Hello, my name is Matt Deemer, former congressional candidate for Ohio's 7th District, and this is Cuyahoga Today, brought to you by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, where we bring you Democratic Party updates, political and informational conversations, everything that is happening in Cuyahoga today. Also, if you could, do us a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please click the five-star rating and leave us a nice comment. It helps people find this show and give them confidence when they click on it. If you're on any other app, like Spotify, there are also places where you can leave five-star ratings as well. If you have any questions or comments for me or the guests, you can reach out to mdiemer at kydem.com. That's mdiemer at cuidem.com. And here are this week's news updates. Hello, I'm Nakisha Nickerson, Secretary and Vice Chair of the Cuyahoga Dem Party. The Ohio Democratic Party will like all reproductive rights petitions end by June 16th. Submit your petitions at the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party headquarters located at 3615 Superior Avenue. This is your Executive Vice Chair, Juanita Brent. We have an important election coming up on August 8th. In this election, we encourage you to vote no, and I mean it, you gotta vote no, to ensure that we protect our democracy. See you at the polls August 8th. One person, one vote. And here are this week's upcoming Democratic Club meetings for Tuesday, June 13th through Monday, June 19th. On Tuesday, June 13th, head down to Cleveland's 15th Ward for their Democratic Club meeting. That's starting at 6.30 p.m. And at 7 p.m., the Tri-City Democratic Club is meeting as well. The Tri-City consists of Warrensville Heights, North Randall, and Highland Hills. Wednesday, June 14th at 6 p.m., Cleveland's Ward 8, Bratton Hall, is meeting. 6.30 p.m., Ward 4, and at 7 p.m., head into the suburbs to Beechwood or Lyndhurst. Thursday, June 15th at 6 p.m., University Heights Democratic Club is meeting. At 7 p.m., we have three. If you're in Euclid, your club is meeting. North Randall's Democratic Club is meeting. And Olmstead Falls Olmstead Township Democratic Club is also meeting. If meetings aren't your thing, that's okay, because on Saturday, June 17th at noon, the Cleveland Ward 14 Democratic Club is going out to collect signatures to put reproductive rights on the ballot. And in today's conversation, we're going to talk to Terry McCafferty. He's the Democratic board member of the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections. And Mike West, who is the manager of the Board of Elections Outreach Department. And this is an interesting conversation because I always wanted to know the inner workings of our Board of Elections, how the machines are set up, how the votes are reported, and the security and precautions that go into securing our elections in the great state of Ohio. I hope you find this conversation as informative as I did. Enjoy. I'm sitting with Terry McCafferty and Mike West, and we're going to talk about the Board of Elections today. Gents, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Mike, let's start with you. Can we just get a little bit of a quick bio about who you are and your connection with the Board of Elections? Oh, sure. I'm the manager of the outreach department, and what our department does is we're in charge of voter education, so uh, we help uh, craft the messages that you get from the media and from our community partners. Uh, we make handouts and brochures, and we help out with the mailer that everybody gets before each election that explains that there's an election coming up and what the early voting hours are, how to vote by mail, and that sort of thing. Um, so that's what we do. We also um, 
when we're invited to events out in the community, we'll, we'll come and set up a table and, and we offer a wide range of services, not just voter registration, that's just a small part of it. So um, we're out there, kind of your, your tax dollars at work, trying to get everybody educated and encourage them to take part in the voting process. Well, there you have it, Mike. I didn't even know that job exists, so I'm already learning something. <laughs> Terry, can you please let, let us know what you, what you do? And congratulations on getting elected to do the thing that you do again. Well, first of all, I want to say hello to all your listeners. Uh, I am one of two Democratic members of the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections. I've been a member for nearly a year, and as our host indicated, I was just reelected to another four-year term. My Democratic counterpart is Ina Jo Davis-Chappelle. We serve on the board along with two Republicans. For your listeners, they may be not aware that the board itself is a bipartisan effort. And the chairman is a Democrat and the deputy chairman is a Republican. So even in uh, all the Mike's departments, the ballot departments, registration, there's bipartisan participation, much like as you probably learned the elections. Basically, we're an administrative arm of the Board of Elections. Uh, we certify elections after staff does all the final counting, auditing. Uh, we release provisional ballots to be counted. We uh, hear from our petition people whether, you know, whether a candidate has sufficiently filed enough signatures on his position to qualify. We approve expenses. We meet monthly, but we have a lot of other meetings depending on the election cycle. I would also offer, I had worked at the polls as a voting location deputy, and I believe that this uh, brings a unique perspective to the Board of Elections for myself. I am able to firsthand share knowledge of the issues that voters and election officials deal with at the polls. Excellent. Th thank you for that. And actually, you went straight into um, our, our first question about uh, the responsibilities of the Board of Elections. But I also want to know a little bit about the history of the Board of Elections. I'm not too sure who would like to take this question, but th the Board of Elections obviously is a long institution, considering we have a long history of doing elections in this country. What are the what is the, a little bit of the history of the Board of Elections within Cuyahoga County? Well, we've had... Um several different buildings over the last hundred years or so. I, I think state law established the, the structure of each county having its own voting jurisdiction. So if people don't know it, there's 88 uh, different boards of elections throughout Ohio. Uh, we all have to follow the rules that are handed down first by the lawmakers and then kind of overseen by the Secretary of State, who sometimes interprets the laws the way he or she sees fit, and that can be controversial, but um, we won't get into those areas. Here at the board, we, we have to follow orders, and, um, and we don't really share our, our opinion on whether we, we like the rules or we don't. That's kind of a very brief history. You, you said something there that we're going to get into probably a little more in depth in a little bit, uh, but you said 88 counties have their own board of elections. And one thing that I learned while running for office myself is that some of these counties are obviously more rural counties. The Board of Elections is in, say, the, their, their biggest city, for example, and ballots or the counts of the ballots have to be driven into the Board of Elections to get certified and then reported out to uh, for, for the, the election process. Am I correct with this? Because what I saw during the election is that 
rural counties would come in later because of the long distances. And so that's why people would see like, oh, the Democratic counties would come in first, the Democratic votes, because say Cuyahoga in Cleveland is a mostly mostly Democrat and it's a lot more compact and easier to get the ballots to the Board of Elections because, you know, the locations are polling locations are closer. But if something like Medina and you have to go from, say, Wadsworth all the way to Medina City, uh, it's a lot longer drive and a lot you know more distance. So therefore, those, say, Republican or red or rural votes would be coming in later. It, is, do I got that correct? Well, I think that can happen. There's a lot of variables. Um, if you're in a rural county or even a, a large county and and one polling location might have some issues, um, you know, that can hang everybody up for several hours. Maybe they, maybe they leave the polling location and they get halfway to where they need to be and they realize that, you know, Biff locked some piece of equipment inside the church and then they got to find the janitor or the priest and let them <laughs> in. And, you know, these things happen. So um, our motto has long been that, you know, we don't try to go quickly we'd rather take our time and do it right. Uh, we don't like artificial deadlines that at one time were set by the media. They'd be uh, glaring at us, wondering what took so long, but we've kind of gotten everybody used to the idea that nobody's gonna rush us. We're gonna take our time and, and do it right. And we know people are impatient, the candidates, the reporters for results, but you know, we, we do it the way we do it. And Terry will tell you, you know, we've narrowed it down to some really good best practices. Uh, I, so would, I would add uh, that a large percentage sometimes of that early vote is the number of mail by vote by mail ballots and early in person. Those have, actually get counted much quicker than the uh, vote in person ballots. That's a very good point. And so I think this leads us naturally just to the process. What does the process of setting up Election Day look like? And I would love for you guys to walk me through that. I don't know what the best places to start. I have on our docket for today the machines, the staff, the polling locations, how you wind down operations. And, you know, I just don't even know how, know how the numbers get reported to the state or the national total. So I'm not too sure where to start, but I'm, I have on my docket to start with the machines. What happens there? How do you start Election Day? Do you just go wheel the machines out and turn them on and then sit back and watch people come in? Or what's the process? Well, everything starts on Monday, night before the election. And all the poll workers for that location assemble. Everybody has certain jobs to do. Uh, one of them is starting up the scanning machines. You have a bipartisan team, once again, that has to go to the machine. They have to record all the security tag numbers before they can open the machine. They plug it in, make sure it comes on, and everything heats up. Then, I'm not sure if they zero the machine that night or if they do that first thing in the morning. you recall, Mike? I don't recall. I'm pretty sure they have to check in the morning, make sure nothing's happened yeah. overnight. But, yeah, zeroing the, the machine is, is standard. And... If you've looked at the scanners right. when you're voting, it tells how many people have voted without even opening anything up that's on the screen. And then they, they reseal the machines for the night and then open it back up in the morning. And I believe they zero them out. Bipartisan team has to sign off on all this. And they print a tape that says there's no ballots counted yet. And, and all of this is with, with the machines. All of this is with a Republican and a Democrat. Or an independent in either or one. Or independent. It's acceptable. Okay. It's acceptable. Mm -hmm. are, are the machines connected to the Internet? Popular question. Absolutely not. 
They're standalone. <laughs> they have uh, flash drives and memory chips in them, and that's what where all the information is tabulated on. So you said you everything starts on the night before the election, on Monday night, and you said the, the staff come, come in. Where did the staff come from? What goes into the trading? What goes into how they handle ballots? Are there codes of conducts that the staff must follow? Um, could you go into a little bit how the traf- staff get trained and just the whole process of before you even go into election day for the staff? We have manuals and we have training sessions. And so you can see it's a big job to get everybody trained. We hire extras for standbys. As Terry mentioned, everybody has to go to the location the night before to make sure everything's set up so that when the doors open at 6.30 for voters, uh, everything will, will go smoothly. And, you know, people check in on the electronic poll books. Then the, the machine actually tells uh, the poll worker what ballot uh, needs to be given to the voter. And that's a double check um, to make sure you don't give somebody the wrong ballot. They vote their ballot, they go to the scanner, and they put it in the scanner. If there's an issue or they've done something wrong, the scanner will tell them that, and they get a chance to fix it, or they can say, go ahead and accept the ballot the way it is. And Terry mentioned that the memory sticks that are in the scanners, and that's how we count them on election night. But if something happens, like somebody stomped on a stick or something, we have the paper ballots for a backup, and those could be scanned if we needed those results. And of course, there's a, a long story of how uh, having paper ballots as a hard copy um, ensures accuracy uh, all through the process from the time you vote on that ballot to when there's an audit after every election. Terry, is there a process to how to handle those paper ballots? Or as Mike just said, the ballots before you even get it goes through a double check. Can you just tell us a little bit about just the process of handling a ballot in general? <clears throat> Once the... Uh... The intake worker goes through the electronic poll book and identifies a prints off of a permission to vote slip. And that has the precinct, the ward and the precinct on it. And then they refer that to a table where, where I vote, there's multiple precincts. And if there's D's and R's or issues only or uh, that type of election, they hand it to the right person they need. I need a 1B ballot or a 2C ballot or, or whatever. So that worker handling the ballots, then hands that back. They scan that ballot back in the electronic poll book. And that's a double check as well. And they hand that to the voter. Now, at the end of the night, when they're closing down the scanners, they print out tapes of all the records from the election, you know, the counts and the, and the races. That all gets printed out. They tape that uh, to the window on the polling place. Once again, a bipartisan team opens the ballot section of the machine, the scanner, we have separate ballot bags. Ballots go into those bags. The bags, again, get sealed tags that they have to record all the serial numbers. Both sign off, bipartisan sign off. And then the ballots are taken by, again, a bipartisan team riding in the same car, which is a requirement. And they take those ballots back to a central location. And that's basically the custody of the ballots. And just to clarify, when you said I get ballot 1A or 2B, we're talking about ward 1, precinct B, or so on and so forth. Correct. In a, in a partisan election, it could include also D ballot or an R ballot or an issues only ballot. Depends on the type of election. And when the polls close, you said that the results are taped to the front of the polling location. Um, 
so anybody a- after the polls close can go up to the polling location and just see what happened in their in their location, correct? That's correct. Uh, during the it, day, they print off who's voted uh, n- numerous times during the day, and those are public uh, posted publicly as well that people can review. So somebody could literally, and I know this happens with campaigns, hire people to stay at different polling locations and report during the day, but somebody could, you know, just to verify the votes, verify the, the results, run to every polling location and do their own tally of, of what happened. They could, but they won't have the other ballots, the uh, vote-by-mail ballots, and the early in-person, they won't have those results. They're just from the machine to scanners at that location. And um, for a little bit of trivia, there are companies like the Edison Company, that sends representatives out to report back uh, the results from certain places to try to get an idea of, of kind of the way it's going. They also do exit polling, but people probably know about that as well. Okay, so I understand how the central location will, will report their numbers uh, you know, to the central location. Like, hey, this is Medina County or Cuyahoga County or so on and so forth. This is what we, we have. But then how do you tally that for, say, a congressional race, which has, you know, bits and pieces for all these different places, and you put them into one result. And then how would you do that on a national level? Who gives the numbers to, you know, uh, report them for the presidential election? Do you text them? Is there a fax machine? Um, like, how does everybody get those numbers? The most populous county reports the uh, congressional results, but everybody reports their results to the Secretary of State and the Secretary of State takes it from there. And um, until the election is certified, you know, if there's a split congressional district, everybody has to get together and and look at the results to find out, you know, who won, I guess. So, um, but yeah, that's just a a matter of uh, technical matter that we report our results to the Secretary of State and so do all the other um, jurisdictions. And again, how, how do we report that? Is it a fax? Is it a phone call? Is it a text? Is it... That I don't really want to go into. That might be a security issue um, mm. because, as you know, there's uh, issues with anything happened with vote tallies online. So we're just going to stay away from that one. I mean, if you want to do a blanket statement and say that all the jurisdictions report their results to the Secretary of State... And the Secretary of State's office kind of sorts everything out from there. Un- understood, understood. All right, so we went through the process of, of the staff, the ballot, collecting, re- getting the numbers, reporting the numbers. Election day is over. It's Wednesday. It's Thursday. I don't know if you take a day off or not because it was a busy Tuesday. What happens then? How do you wind everything down? Is there a process of securing the machines uh, or you know, telling the staff you did a good job and then see, the, see you next year? Um, what, what is that wind-down process? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the, life, the life of the ballot ends when it is locked in a vault, the paper ballots. They have retention schedules, like for presidential ballots, I think they have to save them for a year before they can be destroyed. We save other voter records for prescribed amounts of time. Uh, it takes some time. You have some cure time for ballots. People should know that. They can be postmarked up to certain dates. Uh, what is cure time? Uh, that's time to repair. Ballots can be repaired or provisional. If something's not filled out correctly on a provisional ballot, you used to have 10 days to come down to the Board of Elections and make corrections for their ballot to be bad. Uh, so there's waiting periods on some of this. Uh, ballots coming in from the military, There's I don't know how many days they can be come in past postmark and still be counted. 
I don't know, Mike, what else should we Yeah, it's it's four wait it's on. four days and people have heard a lot about how it used to have ten days. So if you mail your ballot on Monday and it makes the postmark, the mailman had ten days to get it there. Now the mailman has four days. And if you went to vote and you didn't have your ID and you voted provisional, you'd have four days to come down and show your ID and and cure your ballot, as Terry said. So we have to wait for the vote-by-mail ballots to come in that are still valid. We have to give people time to cure their provisional ballots. And then those numbers are added to the unofficial count. And so that's kind of, you know, unofficials like the subtotal and the official count is like the grand total of, of the outcome. And so when there's a close race, everybody calls, hey, is there going to be a recount, a recount? We say, no, 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 no. Not, we don't even talk about recounts until the results are official because there could be hundreds or thousands of provisional ballots that come in after election day or vote-by-mail ballots that come in after election. Well, after uh, this process, this waiting period, these numerous waiting periods, uh, staff goes through the provisionals, and, of course, they, some are disqualified. Some don't have the right information. They weren't in the right precinct. No matter what they did, the provisional is invalid. Ultimately, they will come at a board meeting and bring all this information to us and then get board's permission to count the valid provisional ballots. So there's that delay period until, and then they have a bipartisan teams that open the provisional ballots, pull the ballots out, scan those ballots. So all this, a lot of this stuff takes time. So there's a lot of times numerous meetings for different certifications different requirements for the Secretary of State, deadlines that have to be met, and uh, staff does a great job, keeps the board moving. All right, so we have we have certified elections, we have, you know, people in office, and now um, it's December, January, February, um, the, the following year. What do you, you do in the meantime? After everything's done and you wind down, you have a, some time and then wind back up, Terry, uh, what's the between process look like for you? What's a, what's a daily, day in the life of? Well, elections are only two days a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they only work two days a year. <laughs> I know staff is busy. Obviously, I, you know, being on the board, I'm, I'm only there occasionally. I'm mean, numerous times during the year, but staff is busy all the time. They have to test the machines before they go out to elections. Right now, they're in the process of uh, parts of staff are, are uh, redrawing precincts because of the census, which changed some cities have to rearrange their wards because of, because of the numbers and the shifts in population. Those are things we certify at the board as well. These We've been reviewing community by community. I was just reading something here on Bedford is next. This year, the Board of Elections is really, really busy. I uh, haven't had a May primary. And then this, this August election uh, fell right in the middle. No political comment on it. But uh, Cuyahoga County also has September primaries. Being on the board only like I say, just just about a year, I asked the question at a board meeting, is Cuyahoga County unique with September primaries? And I was told, yes, we are. The city of Cleveland is one of the largest that does September primaries. And a lot of the suburbs do as well. It's in their charters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. E- even though board the board has tried to petition over time to get everybody to align their primaries so you don't have that extra primary. And then you're into November. And then I think the deadlines for next year's petitions are in February, Mike. Is that correct? Yeah, something like that, because it looks like we're going to have a March election. There was talk of changing that, but as far as we know, we'll have a March primary. But 
There is a long list of stuff. I, having been exposed to these departments, I can tell you that our registration department, that's a constantly living, breathing entity because names are removed for various reasons, death, they move away. Uh, our records have to be maintained. There's a long process of trying to contact voters and things like that. And so the registration department has a lot of work to do because they're handling a database of close to 900,000 people. So that's a full-time job year-round. Our candidate and petition services, they prepare the materials that candidates need. Plus, uh, everybody turns in financial reports. Those reports have to be looked at. They have to be audited. And then the poll worker department, you know, they have to hire like 4,000 people for every countywide election. And so they try to keep the poll workers engaged between elections so they're ready to go, keep everybody trained. And each election cycle is like three or four months of preparation. So if you look at the big picture, um, you know, we're doing all these things on a constant basis. Our human resources department, it has to hire hundreds of temporary workers and election night workers and people to help out in, in dozens of different capacities. Our ballot department has to maintain uh, their computer systems and lay out ballots and they're in charge of the vote by mail operations, election support. They have to inventory thousands, tens of thousands of pieces of voting paraphernalia. They have to inspect the machines, maintain the machines, catalog the machines, put away the machines, bring out the machines, test them. So uh, we are awfully busy year round. But yeah, that's the joke that we only work uh, two days a year. <laughs> in, in all fairness, I mean, unless you are, you know, part of that organization, you, you wouldn't know. Uh, you know, you go show up there on election day, you get hired as a poll worker, and then you work a couple of days. And then, so this actually brings me to two more questions. And it, it seems as though that, you know, there's a lot of planning to go with, you know, th these elections. And so if an election uh, comes out of nowhere, say an August 8th election that you didn't know was going to happen um, 30 days ago, how much of a monkey wrench is that in the plans of like normal election uh, you know, procedures? And how do you cope with that if it is kind of like a disruption in uh, your year plan of running an election? Well, I asked this question as well because of the possibility of having an August election at a board meeting. And uh, I asked what was the normal time range. Mike alluded to it. Board of Elections in Cuyahoga County would prefer to have 120 days out notice kind of guarantee they can get everything done. We wound up with, I believe it was 90 days or 100 when they said the May, whatever that May 5th date was, the last day they could push this, get this on the ballot or whatever that date was. So but the Board of Elections is committed across the state of Ohio. All 88 counties are facing the same thing. And there was a protest from the bill, uh, election officials across the state. You know, they kind of objected, but they're committed to, to running a successful election. But on top of it in Cuyahoga County, we purchased new scanners. So staff had to be trained. They had to be tested. They had to be, we've got to train all the workers on the new equipment. So that's added another complex step. Uh, they were hoping to use those in September with a smaller primary. They're expecting this could be kind of large because it's a state issue, even though it's in August. I do a lot of presentations. And uh, as you know, for the last couple of years, suddenly voting security was a big issue. And we think a lot about that. What I tell these groups is there's no insertion point. If somebody wanted to cheat, you can't insert extra ballots through vote by mail because we keep track of all the ballots that go out, all the ballots that come in. There's stub numbers that are recorded and compared. You can't 
insert ballots in early voting because you can't walk into the board with a big stack of ballots and start shoving them in a machine. It doesn't work, you're on camera, and you know, it'd be pretty obvious. You can't go to your polling location with an armload of ballots and start putting them in scanners either because, of course, they wouldn't scan. And where would you find somebody that would be dumb enough to illegally print phony ballots and even then the machines wouldn't read them. So there's no way to insert ballots into the count. So really we've got an extremely good system. It's become the industry standard to have these paper optical scan ballots. So, you know, when people hear these wild theories, they need to know that, it, that as a practical matter, it simply can't be done. And I, I also want to point out, because a lot of people would say uh, they also, they, they could say, oh, you'll just hack the machine. Well, first of all, you'd have to hack, hack all the machines, but then again, you still have the paper ballot backup to check to see what the results were with the hard copies as well. So even hacking the machines wouldn't work. Exactly. And there's audits afterwards to make sure the machines did their job. Understood. And actually, that was my last question is, what do you want people to know about this process uh, that they might not know? So, Mike, you, you gave your answer. Terry, is there any answer you want to give to that or just want to piggyback off of Mike's? Uh, what do you want people to know about this process to, I don't know, maybe get a, take away some of these myths or ideas that people have? Uh, I will say, you know, having worked polls, as you kind of experienced yourself, uh, I had no idea what went on in a polling place. I've been voting for 50 years. Until I was an actual worker at a polling location, did I realize these bipartisan teams and the checks and the balances and every step of the way, uh, there were safeguards. And I've told every, a lot of my friends and a lot of people, I get into discussions sometimes with other people and I explain this all to them. And a lot of times they understand that. I said, this, really, they had no idea. I said, well, I had no idea either. Then when I got on the board, I had an opportunity on election night to be down there as well. And the same processes are utilized there. I, I left out before when we brought the ballots back to the Board of Elections or sometimes there were outlying areas that they had collection points. There was chain of custody paperwork signed again by the two people bringing the ballots, a D and an R or an I and a D or typically a D and an R. And they're the receiving people at the Board of Elections were teams as well that collected the ballots. So there's a chain of custody all the way up to the ballot counting department. It's just amazing. And, but I would also tell people, uh, unfortunately, I could only speak to the state of Ohio because I don't know what goes on in other states. Everything in Ohio is, is you know, under Ohio Revised Code. What happens in other states, I can't vouch. But I can vouch for the state of Ohio in Cuyahoga and Cuyahoga County. And that's a very, very good statement. And I, I just want to close on that is that um, I have spoken to people, uh, quite, quite a few people that said, oh, you know, our, our elections are, are rigged or, or there's, you know, fraud and on a massive scale until they went to be a poll worker. And after they experienced being a poll worker and the systems that are in place to protect the integrity of our elections, they come out with a whole different opinion. And I have never heard one person say, anything but yeah no everything's fine there we like the process so i appreciate the work that both of you do um and i appreciate the time um that you've given us today to go through something that you know what we all don't have exposure to even though it's very deeply intimate uh, intimate process and intimate experience of you know voting here in, in the united states of america and in ohio Cuyahoga county that we really don't know that much about so i appreciate the time mike and terry yeah happy to participate thank you for listening to the cuyahoga county democratic party's podcast Cuyahoga today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. 
Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. That's M-Demer at Kydem.com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week.